Hello and welcome to another episode of Artists on Artists. It's the Glassire podcast where we interview artists and talk about studio practice,、uh, what's happening in the world. Today we're speaking with Erica Felicella, a Dallas-based interdisciplinary artist whose work is based in durational performance, and she wears multiple hats, including the one that's currently on her head. <laughs> And she's also the executive producer at Aurora Dallas, and we're just gonna dive right in. Erica, welcome to Artists on Artists, and thank you for taking the time to share your practice with our audience. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me. And we were discussing a moment ago how we both, as with most Texans, went through the crazy ice storm and the power loss and some loss of water. How how did you fare? How are you doing? We did pretty good. Just water, you know, old pier and beam, hundred years old. Not prepared for this in the state of Texas. I always wished for snow because I'm a Yankee, but every winter I want that. I, I'm never gonna ask for that again. So. <laughs> That's right. You're from the East Coast, correct? Yeah, I'm from New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Okay. How long ago did you move to Texas? So long ago, I should probably call myself a Texan. But、uh, you know, I've been in Dallas for、uh, over 20 years now, and I lived in San Antonio before that. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. What brought you to Dallas?、Um, it was actually my sister. We didn't really know each other, and so I moved up here, kind of still young and dumb. And、uh, started a life over here up in Dallas, Texas. Were you interested in art in any way? That's like a long, deep question <laughs> for me. But、uh, you know, I call that kind of a reset period for my life. I started photography and performing poetry at a young age, but then、um, sports and、uh, love for psychology and biology kind of took me in a different direction. And then I completely had a major meltdown and. Disappeared for like three years, and then、uh, you know reemerged here in Dallas and and found art again after I'd been here a couple of years. So、uh, I touched on it a little bit,、uh, but you know you are on planning committees,、uh, art media board memberships, steering committees. You work with the Emergency Artist Support League. Is there another Erica like? <laughs> Doing all those things while you're talking to me right now seems like a lot.、Uh, I never know. I have a committee problem and a community problem, is what I call it.、Um, no is not a word that I'm very good at, especially when it comes to advocacy、um, for artists in the arts. I think four boards right now, or three. I can't remember. I have to go to my CV to check. <laughs> <laughs> But、um, I'm doing some board work on the side as well as. Uh, working with Aurora, so it is a good problem for for Dallas to have that you're so engaged and involved with with everything that's happening there. I want to talk a little bit about your work, two in particular: the Visible Shell、mm-hmm. and Unburden. And、mm-hmm. like some of your other works, it involves. Communication in some form, whether you're the communicator or whether you're eliciting a response from your audience. Well, visible shell actually,、um, I don't show record of it anymore. But I was con- a conceptual photographer first, and、um, you know, I went through a period where all my gear kind of disappeared, not of my own doing.、Uh, so, visible shell was the next thing I th- I thought of, and、uh, it's rooted in 
you know, American society's inability to sit still, um, and also the fact that, you know, the showing of emotion is like a huge sign of weakness is what people see. So I wanted to put myself, um, again, rooted in psychology, big part of my practice, is I wanted to put myself in a place where people were going to have to face that, um, see a person put into a situation that was alarming in a way, but also freeing for people. Uh, it's also very, you know, there was a lot of ritual in it. Like I said, I wrote the same sentence, only that sentence uh, for two days. And you know, I had panic attacks in there. I had crying fits in there. You know, it's like I tried to, if I fell asleep, I had um, other volunteers, performers uh, wake me up. You know, they had to hit the shell really hard, which was startling. But I really just wanted to create a space that was in the public for art to be seen, not necessarily where you would typically see it. The weirdest stuff happened. You know, it's a beer store across the street, like was live streaming it and sending people over with six packs to like hang out around it. And it, it built this community, you know, in a weird way. And you know, I put as much out there as I can, but you never know um, how people are going to take it in. I received a lot of feedback from people that I've never even met. I received cards in the mail. I received um, emails, all kinds of stuff about just thanks for showing a side of their own experience that they're not willing to open up about. I think that's kind of where that came from. It's also kind of rooted in some personal stuff that happened to me in the past, which that thread is in everything that I do. We're part of our work. It's just kind of inevitable. Uh, so that's where Visible Shell led me to. Um, as a lot of people have pointed out, I like to contain myself for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it led me to unburden. And I was just thinking about, you know, people hide so much inside. Uh, and there's, there's stuff that they wish that they could just say, but it doesn't feel safe or it feels wrong or they don't want it out there in the world, but they need it out there in the world. So I created a containment upon a containment upon a containment. I made myself a prisoner. I was shackled just like a prisoner would be. Uh, I was put into what's supposed to be a, you know, a prison uh, visitation booth. And uh, people were allowed to come one at a time and tell me anything they wanted. And I, you know, I will never repeat it. And I've done it a couple of times. And uh, people have been amazing, you know, even people I know, which is, you know, that one caught me, off, caught me off guard. It's, you know, it's like, I have to see these people again. And yet they're willing to share something with me and see me again and know that I know this thing about them, but that I will never bring it up. In both those circumstances, it feels like for lack of a better comparison, like a priest or <laughs> something, hearing confessions. Yeah, And then in the visible shell, you were expressing your own inner thoughts. I find that such a uh, tight balance of both being the vessel for embracing our secrets and then revealing your secrets uh, in your own way. Yeah, I would say that's a, also just a large part of what I try to do is to expose myself in hopes that it lets other people know that it's okay um, if that's part of them and then also to receive. I was also born and raised Catholic. 
I don't realize how much that actually weaves its way into my work, but uh, it gets pointed out a lot. They're like, you know, <laughs> I did that again, didn't I? So <laughs> it's never intentional, but it happens. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely think um, a, like my connection to ritual uh, is, is stems from Catholicism. You know, it's like everything had a purpose. Everything was done a certain way. And uh, it's, brings me back to just like being very intentional about every little aspect even if somebody doesn't catch like why that pencil is in that place you know it has a meaning for me just the you know little rituals that I put within everything that I do I have some questions written down here I just wanted to remind myself looking through your work uh some of the things that that really I, I felt connected to it. And I should say that the, the more artists I talk to, the more I just see glimpses of connection between my own work and their work. For instance, at the DMA, I did a, a telephone booth and a uh, <laughs> Morse code machine where you could send your messages and your communications into the ether. So people were like going in and saying things and then uh, visible self uh, feels, I feel a connection to it in an installation I did called the bubble boy, where I was uh, for completely different reasons, isolating myself in a bubble. It warms my heart that we have maybe some kind of universal uh, artist language that we all sort of sometimes tap into and move away from. Now, I've been talking about that actually uh, quite a bit with some other artists, just because we're sharing thoughts right now, whether we like it or not, because we're all living this experience that is out of our control. So uh, I've been very, been very interested about how it's affecting others' practices and like what what is what is their dialogue at the moment, and regardless of the output, um, you can find those threads, which that's what we do, right? We have the conversation of the times in our, and as it reflect, as it reflects upon us, so. Yeah, but in that way, I find that you're like either anticipating the future in your work or tapping into this like relevance that seems to transcend the moment in which you create your work. For instance, behind the closed door, it anticipates this idea of isolation where you're mm -hmm. in a space with very little contact with the outside world, perhaps of your choosing, but also just reflecting on the idea of isolation. There's another piece that you did, traveling together which is this notion of our shared desires and our shared experiences that we, we want to connect and express. Both of those things are things that we're dealing with right now, our isolation and our need to connect in a way that humans do, but uh, we are denied. Yeah, it's a, that uh, set was my home. Um, I used my own home since it was a studio tour. And when you're a performance artist, it's, I've always been challenged. I'm like, what do you do for a studio tour? You know, if I do think about it now, people that suffer from certain mental illnesses have been living this life every day for however long. And now there is this connective feeling that that person will never, would have never had with that other person. But because of the pandemic, 
they're getting bits and pieces of what it's like to suffer in certain ways that that there was never a way to connect with in the past. I'm sad that people are experiencing this mental anguish, but it's also plays against some stigmas um, that are you know something that are very important to me to try to beat the walls on this all the time. So I I hope that you know through work um, that I do and also just through the human experience that we're living through that you know, people might start to open their eyes a little bit more about certain mental situations that people live through right now. Yeah, I can, I can see it in the, just how personal the work becomes and how willing you are to quote unquote, go there. Uh, (laughs) um, Like who are some of your influences as a performance artist? It's interesting because, you know, I didn't know anything about performance art. You know, I am a I'm self-taught and uh, I actually came up, like I said, through the ranks of photography. So I just got super lucky because Jeff Kern, who is um, somebody who I I love his work. I love his process. And I somehow accidentally became his first assistant uh, for a very long time. So we developed a very unique relationship and I just sat back and watched and, and watched him and, and, it taught me so much like him, his wife and just how it works, you know, what it takes and uh, how to be precise and to be meticulous and have it be okay. You know, it's like that ultimate perfectionist that I try to not be, but I ultimately am. So yeah, <laughs> I kind of learned performance actually through commercial photography and I learned it um, from a production side of things. So that's where I picked up my inspirations. Started like basically from storyboards to developing this, you know, the the concept and executing it, and all the steps in between, and how to get the emotion out. And and the difference there was, and all the things that I used to do is that I had to do it in one frame. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just wanted to find a way to extend that frame. Um, and so that's how I went in that direction. I've been studying performance artists since. I've realized that I've been pretty isolated in the way that I, you know, my art in general. All of my inspiration is drawn from like Gregory Crudson, who's one of my favorite photographers. And if I had a million dollars, like I would work the same way he does and would probably go back to photography. But yeah. Andy Goldsworthy, it's just weird, you know, Smithson, you know, Earthworks, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff have actually played a part into what I do. And then, you know, it, my performance is also based on like 30 years of therapy. <laughs> it's like, as a, and, you know, I, I get educated by others right now. You know, it's like people send me emails and they'll be like, go look at this piece. I'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, Marina's the obvious one. That's right. the first person that, you know, everybody told me to go learn about. And uh, I've been learning a lot about her childhood and how it's played into what she ended up developing, you know, in her 20s and on. So, um, yeah, it's a process. It's learning. But my roots are, are from photographers and vaudeville even I pull from which may make no connection between the work that I make actually I can see that a little bit and one of your pieces which I think if I can think of a piece or point to a piece that bridges 
Erica the artist and Erica the community involved and community obsessed individual it would be that piece um shift yeah. yeah and you know you'd maybe describe it as a metaphor for community but it's also like a physical manifestation of how community works but it also has because it was done in, in sort of a street festival yeah. art festival it had a you know, carnival vaudeville <laughs> aspect to it. I heard someone actually scream out during that piece, um, when is she going to do a magic act? And uh, I was trying not to start cracking up. It was just like, I was like, this is perfect. So it was the Deep Ellum Arts Festival. So yeah. I definitely wanted to bring something that was unexpected. That and my obsession with bodysuits, I don't know where that's coming from lately, <laughs> but like that was super bright yellow but it, it's just that's what the piece needed to be you know the connection of that color to community and what it means that piece was probably one of the most vulnerable pieces I've done because I was at the mercy uh, for safety um, by others and uh, some people did let go of the rope and I almost fell numerous mm. times and I thought afterwards I was like boy I should have worn a helmet and uh <laughs> like I would have been straight into the uh evil Knievel world yeah, no, yeah. A like the whole rounded star. one yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah so I did that whole piece for the most part with my eyes closed so I had wow. no idea what was going to happen but yeah it's a you know community has to work together otherwise it falls yeah and you're physically putting yourself in a lot of the work that you do by just by the nature of the kinds of performance that happens. Um, how do you sum up your life in 40 hours on a typewriter? <laughs> I, ha I haven't read it yet. Um, really? Yeah, it's like- Okay, I, let, I, me, I, <laughs> let me set this up for our aud audience. <laughs> if I'm understanding it correctly, for 40 hours, you summed up your life one year each hour uh, on a typewriter. And then maybe the last few hours, people were allowed to observe you mm -hmm. uh, complete the task. Um, so I'd hit 40 and, you know, I had to do something about it. You know, I wanted to try to journal and co collect my story. Mm -hmm. So... I, I got a little background data because, you know, I don't remember one or two or three. So <laughs> I did talk to my mom a little bit about a few things. And then I did two typewriters, one for 20 years, the other one for 20 years. And it's continuous paper because I wanted to show um, the thread that we are and what creates us. So it just pooled on the ground over time. Um, I haven't read it yet because I don't know. I'm not, I'm not ready yet. I was going to have somebody transcribe it for me so that I, I'm going to have that need to happen eventually. But um, I missed all kinds of stuff. You know, it's like, oh, that was huge. How did they not put that in there? <laughs> but uh, the sleep deprivation on that piece, like really mm. got to me. It's not the longest piece I've done, but I'm working on some longer ones. But whew. yeah, the 40 hours was just a, I just needed to get to a place where I could begin uh, the next part of my life. So that was one of the main reasons to do it was to put the significant milestone behind me so I could move forward. And the little thing that I don't put in the website is that the very last thing I typed, uh, this was also a very long proposal to my wife. So the very last paragraph um, was her proposal. 
And what she didn't know is that the ring was on, you know, in the staging area the whole time. Um, she actually put it there. I just had a special box made for it. So it didn't look like a ring box. And everybody came in and a lot of strangers and they ended up witnessing a proposal that had typos. And <laughs> I also learned like, you know, there's no command Z on a typewriter. <laughs> I was like, and I'm dyslexic. So it was just like, I'm like, I don't even know what that word means. I'll just keep going. It was very cathartic in a lot of ways. And it was also the first time I've always wanted to do something in a storefront setting. Mm-hmm. And just to have something happening that people don't, they could just walk past and it's not even noticed. Uh, Deep Ellen was an interesting place to do it because it's very busy at night. So I had some very interesting, incredibly intoxicated visitors at like 3 a.m., uh, 4 a.m. I had street cleaners come in at 4.30. The water was seeping in under the window and like oh, at man. the paper. I was like, what? But um, no, at the end, it was, I'm, I'm really glad I did it. So it was, it was awesome Yeah. to, to let it go. So it- yeah, talking about that, just that little thing, like the water seeping through, how do you respond to life happening around durational experiences? Like, um, would you, were you going to jump up and move the paper or just let it happen? I watched it kind of pooling towards, and, you know, the panic was setting in, and it was like, what am I going to do? So, let's wait to see if it's going to get close enough to ruin my life, essentially, <laughs> like literally my life. Um, and I did, it didn't get there. So it was good. But I mean, when it comes to, you know, live durational work, um, and humans, like you can prepare for everything on your side, but you can't prepare for life on the outside. I've done everything from having a strict therapy sessions, dietitians, like, you know, for visible shell, I worked with a um, full medical team to develop a process. And then I'm kind of in the hands of the world at that point. And you just have to power through, you know, visible shell. Like I learned after five hours, a hard plastic chair actually can become comfortable. But (laughs) those first five hours, like our bodies adapt, you know, in ways that we didn't know were possible, but you don't know unless you put yourself in these um, extreme situations. And people have done all kinds of weird things to me. You know, it's like, What's the weirdest thing? (laughs) What comes to mind? (laughs) People always want to tell me I'm okay and that it's going to be all right. That one always catches me off guard. Uh, People dropping the rope on shift. I didn't Mm. even think about that at all. You know, it's like I have such a warm idea of community. Yeah. That I forget there's a backside to it as well. And I didn't, I didn't even consider that as an option. So that one's probably the biggest the luckily some people came running in from the side and grabbed the rope and pulled me back up behind the closed door they weren't really supposed to talk to me somebody like sat on the sofa with me and leaned on me for a while and just talked to me it's just kind of the stuff that goes with performance you know it's like I like to put it in a place where people people feel like they can step in but that means you have no idea what's going to happen right uh, one final piece that I want to talk with you about, and I encourage our audience to visit your website because it was such a great journey to just sort of experience your work that you've documented and just kind of try and understand how you approach things. 
uh, one of the works was, uh, I don't remember what it's titled, but it's uh, the brick uh, building to your inner child. Inner sanctum, that inner was it. Inner sanctum, okay, yes. Uh, where did that work come from? Yeah, it's kind of a love story to myself. You know, it's like um, so many of us out there, just like if we could go back to our awkward selves, like I was an incredibly like shy and scared kid and weird, you know, it's like I would, I didn't talk to anybody unless I was on like a stage or on a field. And if I was performing, I could sing, I could dance, I could do all this stuff. And then I get off the stage again and just be like this little wallflower. Yeah. And you know, it's like, I wanted people to be able to speak to their younger selves. And it's interesting because we still, to me, it was like the reason why I use, there's multiple reasons why I use the cinder blocks, but one of the biggest ones is we lock our inner child. You know, once we get older, like we just kind of like put it down in our, in our inner self and forget that, you know, there's a pretty cool, awesome person down there, you know? And maybe they went through something and you want to talk to them about it. Um, and the piece, I, I kind of wanted people to go back there and think, who was I as a child? And what did I worry about? You know, and, and just kind of let that go. And, uh, yeah. It seemed like a really poignant piece. As with all the works on your CV that I've observed, it, I'll repeat it, that it's been a really great journey through your process and through your work. And I encourage our audience to check out your website and uh, experience some of these works. Uh, having said that, what do you have coming up? You sort of <laughs> teased a, an even longer durational experience. Yeah. Uh, what's well, first up? I wanna say thank you for the very kind words um, about my practice. Sometimes I ask myself why I keep doing this. Uh, like, what's the point is my voice even, you know, what, what am I leaving behind in the world? And so thank you. That reminds that little insecurity, artist insecurity. And it's like, oh, okay, 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 I'll keep going. <laughs> I have work designed for the next 20 years, at least. Um, it's just my, the problem that I run into is that my ideas are really expensive. And so it's the little ones that kind of pop up that really excite me. And um, I may never get to the big ones, but I, I'm working on one that's a week long. And another one that the week long, I think it's going to be a week. It could be a little under or it could be over uh, because it, it's based on a physical activity and it has a start and an end. And it just depends on how worn out I get in the yeah. process. Uh, so one of the pieces I'm working on for this year, uh, as soon as I have clearance from an orthopedic doctor, I'll start physical training. I think it'll take me about 10 months. Uh, the piece itself will only be about three hours um, but it's you know it's a story and a dialogue on you know carrying baggage in life and how we can with others either add to it or subtract it and how no one walks alone as isolated as you think you may be like you're here with others and it's a shared experience even though I'm constantly isolating myself it's there's there's people with me always uh, so that one's that one will be a very physically strenuous uh, work, but if I can ever get to my my dream piece here in Dallas, it's a it's a month long, so um, I'll enter and then completely detached from 
discussion or you know interaction with another human for 30 days it's just like five hundred thousand dollars <laughs> it'll be no, no, no biggie no problem no big deal yeah <laughs> i'm more uh intrigued by your ambition and scale of time and endurance than cost but whenever it happens we hope to be there and uh, i'll let you know i'll let yeah. you know you know if i get to that you know that month-long piece part of the design is actually to um without giving too much away but is to actually create a campground in an urban setting that the city gives people permission to actually bring their families and physically camp for however long they want in their tents and whatnot for that month month long period so it's a way to bring the community again engaged but separated so yeah. we'll see i play the lottery wednesday and saturday so. <laughs> <laughs> well when you hit remember the little yeah. people <laughs> it's been such a pleasure talking with you and listening to you talk about your work and sharing your work and we look forward to your next exhibition and your next big project i appreciate being here Christopher. i hope you enjoy the warmth um like i said earlier i'm in sandals today and yes. i'll take it so i'll take it yeah well thank you so much you're very welcome <laughs>